Welcome to Widowed But Not Alone with Todd Bessie of Credom Wealth Partners, the podcast designed to help people who have lost a partner and those people who support them. We will share stories and resources that will help support your needs, address your financial concerns, and guide you to believe in your future. Now, on to the show. Welcome to part two of Todd Bessie's two-part series discussing the next steps in making financial decisions after the loss of a spouse. I'm Patrice Sikora, and in part one, Todd reviewed the need for support from a trusted source, such as a child or a sibling, the need for guidance from a financial professional. He also talked about prioritizing tasks, documents that will be needed and how to find them, and figuring out your cash flow. Now in this show, Todd goes over assets and liabilities, basically what you owe and what you own. So welcome back to the Widowed But Not Alone podcast. Todd, let's start out with some examples of assets. As we look through the financial situation of someone that's been recently widowed, you know, we want to take a look at all the different assets that they have. So what's an asset? An asset is something that you own. It could be a uh, financial asset. It could be uh, real estate. It could be a vehicle. It could be other, other valuable things, jewelry, art, and so forth. So let me kind of just go through a few of them. So bank accounts, checking, savings, money market accounts, you know, where you deposit cash that you're going to use, you know, in short order, or might be emergency fund savings. Um, the next step might be investments. So you could have investments in the stock market, could be individual stocks, mutual funds. Another type of mutual fund that's pretty common right now is called an exchange traded fund. Um, you know, mutual funds could be stock funds, bond funds. And some other people might own annuities, which are um, insurance company-based investment solutions that typically provide income in retirement. Then we move into retirement accounts. So many people have individual retirement accounts. Could be a traditional IRA, could be a Roth IRA, retirement accounts that came from employment. So a 401k plan, a 403b plan if you're a teacher, 457 plan if you are a a governmental employee. You might have owned some some in real estate. It could have been your your primary residence. You might have investment property. So maybe you own a second home that would that you were living in part time, or maybe you were renting it and collecting income. Um, or you could own have owned some commercial property. We've had clients in the past that have owned uh, warehouses, um, a building for their business, a storage facility, you know, and and so on. Um, and some other assets to think about, like I said, you know, a car, you know, so any type of personal vehicle, car, SUV, pickup truck, mm-hmm. um, a boat, uh, an RV, motorcycles, you know, if you had other, if you're in bigger piece of property land, you might have had an ATV. And then, you know, another asset, which could be extremely valuable and, and then challenging to understand is if you owned a business, you know, if it's a, could be a, a simple sole proprietorship or could be a, a larger company with many employees. And that business has lots of, could have lots of value. Uh, and then lastly, like I mentioned, the, the more personal articles, so jewelry, rings, art, other precious valuables. So those would be your assets, which are the things that you own. And then when we talk about liabilities, those that's where you owe money to other people or other institutions. So you could have a mortgage on your home. You could have a what's sometimes known as a second mortgage, which is a home equity loan or a line of credit. 
you can have a loan against your vehicle, against a boat, an RV, um, credit cards. Most people have credit cards these days, right? Visa, MasterCard, department store cards, American Express. You know, if you have kids and you were um, fortunate, your kids went to college and you had to, you, you helped pay for uh, college for your children, you might have had some education loans that you co-signed on and you might be responsible for. There could, if you owned a business, there could be loans against the business. Uh, working capital loan could be a loan against the pro- property owned by the business. And then lastly, personal loans. And this is where it gets tricky sometimes is if a parent lent money to a child or vice versa, you you borrowed money from another friend or family member, so that would be a personal loan. So that those are the, the things that make up the assets and the liabilities. And you know, the calculation is is if you take all of your assets and you you know which is what you own, and you subtract your liabilities, which is what you owe, the net result is your personal net worth. And that's something that when we sit down with someone after the loss of a spouse and they're trying to figure out where they stand financially. We want to build that personal net worth statement so we know what they have and what they can rely on to support them if they need income from those assets uh, to support their lifestyle. Are most of your clients not surprised at the bottom line when they see it, or is it a is it a surprise? Well, as we've discussed previously, I think it's a it's a function of how much the surviving spouse knew about the family's financial situation. Some, you know, have our, our husband and wife worked as a team and they were both well aware of of how, where they stood and and if they planned along the way, whether they did it on their own or they worked with a financial planning professional, they should have this information at their fingertips. But if if there was one person that really was the point person in the household that managed the fan finances. And if that's the person that passed away, then it can be challenging. And like you said, it, it could be a, a real eye-opener when we go through this math and figure things out. And for some people, they might, they're, they're pleasantly surprised, right? That, that uh, their, their other spouse that passed did a great job in managing the household finances. And then unfortunately, sometimes it's the, the opposite where they really are disappointed and, and didn't understand that maybe there were some financial challenges in the house. Do you have to then factor in taxes, other legal situations, wills, trusts? So, you know, it, one of the next things to evaluate, I, I guess that that is part of this process of of reviewing documents and figuring things out is what type of legal documents did you have in place that would have been necessary or useful prior to the death of your spouse if it wasn't an immediate passing? Let's say if someone was ill and you needed to utilize a legal document like a power of attorney. You know, if you needed to do some transactions on behalf of your mm-hmm. your partner that was ill, however, so so I guess let me go through those documents real quick. Typically, there's there's a will, there may be a trust, um, and then there are usually powers of attorney for both property and healthcare. And so, normally, a will is if you have assets in your household and you pass. I'm you know, if I were to die, I might say, well, everything goes to my wife, and if she were to die, everything goes to me. And if we're both gone, we we the everything might go to our children. One thing I think that people misunderstand with wills is that a will gives direction, but it has to be perfected through the courts and and typically the probate process. So that's a, that's a challenge that I think most people 
don't quite understand. And, and that's where getting some education on estate planning and estate planning documents can be quite useful. So living trusts can be a legal instrument that can prove to be very helpful um, in determining who is the beneficiary of certain assets. And it may be a spouse, it may be children. So that's a document that uh, you know would be drawn up by an attorney and, and would be uh, quite important to know if you have that in place. And then lastly, the powers of attorney. So it would be property powers of attorney and healthcare. So property, and again, this is a document that's that's only really useful prior to death. Once someone passes, a power of attorney is no longer valid. So that's something that the surviving spouse should be, if they didn't have one while they were a married couple, they definitely need to get one now so that in the event that they need some assistance in the future, a child or a um, a sibling or some other close family member or friend could assist them. And that would be the legal document that gives that person the authority to make decisions on their behalf for financial reasons or the healthcare power of attorney is for, for medical reasons. So those would be some of the legal documents we would be concerned about. And then you asked about taxes. Yeah. And so again, you know, the question is the level of knowledge of our our surviving spouse and what their understanding is of what their tax situation has been in the past as a married couple and how that will play out going forward. So typically what we would do if we're working with somebody and trying to help them get a handle on their situation is review their previous tax returns for the last past few years and understand again where income came from and how it was taxed and then do some projections going forward based on the income to be received in the future, whether it's from earnings, from a business or from investments. And normally what when we engage with other professionals, we would then start to talk with the client's accountant to involve them in the process. And as we look forward, understand, okay, if we're projecting what the income is going to be, we also need to think about what the tax ramifications of that income is going to be. And does the client need to make some estimated tax payments going forward to make sure they're providing you know, the federal and, and state government with the taxes that they'll need along the way? And sometimes that can be done through withholdings on on distributions from retirement accounts as well. So that's, a, again, a process where if we can involve the other professional, let's the accounting professional, you know, ask them some questions and really be a team there to provide guidance to our client, um, it'll make that a, a smoother transition as well. There are so many moving parts to this plan to pull it together. Can you give us an example, a story of a client who went through this? Yes, I'd be happy to do that. I think you know, going through an example really kind of sets the stage for what can happen and how prepared a couple might have been uh, or, or not. And so I'll just walk through a story. And this is a situation we dealt with recently. So I'll just use you know names to different names to protect you know the innocent here. But I'll tell you a story about a couple you know Steve and Kathy. 
Steve had passed recently after suffering a heart attack, and he was 66 years old. He was a retired union carpenter and his wife, Kathy, uh, and he was 66 and, and his wife, Kathy was 63 and she was still working. She was employed as a nurse. And so her, you know, while working, she was still earning uh, a salary from a hospital. Steve retired, was collecting a pension from his union and also was receiving some social security income. So that was the, the core uh, cash flow that was coming into their house. So with Steve passing, Kathy was eligible to receive um, Steve's pension payments going forward. The way it was set up was she was to receive half of his pension. You know, when when someone decides to makes the election to receive a pension, there could be various alternatives as to how much they receive in their lifetime. And if they were to pass, how much of that payment would go to a surviving spouse. So in this case, the decision the couple had made was to receive a little bit higher income during their joint lifetime. And if he were to pass, she would receive only 50% of that pension payment in the future. And with that, since she was still working, she elected to pause social security payments because since she was 63, if she would have started taking social security payments, she would have had an issue with um, what's called the earnings test. She was earning too much money from her work. And so if she took social security payments, she would have to, would really give up some of that uh, cash flow from social security. So she decided again to pause those social security payments and, until she retired. And she thought maybe she would retire at age 65. Mm-hmm. And when we looked at the assets of this couple, you know, they had bank deposits. So they had money in checking and savings at the bank and had some CDs, which are, you know, certificates of deposit. So another savings vehicle, um, sometimes used as an emergency fund. They had a small, what we call taxable investment account, which is a non retirement account, but was money that was invested in stocks and bonds. They both had traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs. And then Steve, having worked for a union for a long time, um, had what uh, a sizable, what was called a union annuity retirement fund for someone that works for a corporation that would be similar to like a 401k. Okay. Okay. So after many years that that had built up to be, you know, a pretty sizable amount. So those were the assets. And so some of the things that came up as we were dealing with the transition uh, where Kathy was kind of taking the reins of the household and starting to manage the finances all by herself, we had to make some decisions on a few things. So the first thing was looking at Steve's IRAs. So he had a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA and then this union annuity. And so with his passing, we had to transition the ownership of those assets to Kathy. She was the primary beneficiary. And so there are a couple of options as to how to do that. And in her case, since she was over the IRS's retirement age of of 59 and a half, we were able to just transition those assets into her own traditional IRA and Roth IRA. And then we were able to roll over the union annuity into an IRA for her as well. So it really kind of consolidated some of the assets. So instead of having many, many accounts, it, it now was consolidated down to just a few. You know, fortunately, this couple had over the years paid down their debt. So they didn't have a mortgage and, and that was all, all that debt was, was gone before Steve retired. So that really helped them from a cash flow perspective. 
when we talk about benefits and insurance, you know, since Steve was retired and he was over age 65, he was already on Medicare. So he was getting that coverage. And Kathy, since she was still working, was getting her insurance coverage through her employer, a hospital system. And so for her, again, post, you know, Steve's passing, there wasn't really much of a change there for her because she just continued her health insurance through her employer. Uh, Steve did have a small life insurance policy that was they had owned privately. And so that was there really to help cover his final expenses. So funeral costs, funeral home costs, burial, you know, memorial events to right. celebrate his life afterwards. You know, that's what that life insurance policy covered. Um, since he was retired, there was no benefit from an employer. Um and, and in this situation, you know, Kathy was engaged with Steve. They were both involved in their personal finances. And so from an education standpoint, she was aware of their monthly expenses and, and the bills that were there. So it wasn't much detective work to do there. It was, a, you know, she just continued as, as, the, as the bookkeeper for the couple. Now she was the bookkeeper for herself going forward. And the last thing in this case, you know, this was a couple who with the income they had and the assets that they had, they were living well within their means. So um, even though the household income would drop a little bit after Steve's passing because the pension payment would be cut in half. Right, right. She was pausing the social security. It was still, the income is still more than enough to cover both the household expenses, the fixed expenses every month and discretionary spending her going out and, you know, spending money on, on, on food and having fun, those kind of things. That's the discretionary spending. So that was kind of just a, a quick outline of a process that happened with a, with um, the passing of this man, Steve, recently that we worked with. Well, that that's almost a, a Goldilocks scenario. I mean, it seems all, all it all ended well, um, so to speak. But what happens when things get complicated? Maybe there is not enough income to cover the expenses. What do you do? Sure. So if there's no, you know, from, from those fixed income sources, if there's not enough cash flow, then we have to look at the financial resources. So earlier in our conversation today, we were talking about assets and liabilities and figuring out the personal net worth. And so understanding, you know, do we now have to, if, if let's just say, I'll use an example, and this happens more often than not, when, one spouse passes, the other is left with just social security income. Wow. Which doesn't tend to be a lot. Yeah. And so, especially if someone's been retired for a few years, I mean, that might only be a couple thousand dollars a month of social security income. So now, you know, how do you how do you generate enough cash flow to make ends meet? And that's when we now have to look at the investment portfolio and figure out, okay, from the investments that are available. Are they currently generating income that maybe wasn't being used and just was reinvested? So now maybe it's time to distribute that income from, let's say, the taxable investment portfolio to the surviving spouse to use that. There also could be a reason at that point where we need to consider taking distributions from retirement accounts. So somebody that that is like in this case of Kathy, who was 63 years old, she is, you know at a point where she could take distributions from retirement accounts and not have a penalty because she's over 59 and a half years old. Mm -hmm. 
but you would have to pay taxes on those distributions in most cases. If it was from a traditional IRA or a 401k, that income might be taxable. Well, more than likely is taxable on distribution. And then those Roth IRAs we were talking about, if she chose to take distributions from those, that's tax-free cash flow. So if she took a $10,000 distribution from a Roth IRA, that's not taxable. Okay. So we have to then, you know, go through that process, look at the assets, understand how much income our client needs to cover the fixed expenses and the just what we call again the discretionary expenses, the um to live the quality of life um they they would like to live. And sometimes we go through that process and we realize there's more than enough assets to generate the income that's necessary. Sometimes it's tight, you know, where, you know, in the past, there's been a rule of thumb that if you had an asset base and you took a distribution of, let's say, 4% a year of your portfolio. So if you had a million dollar portfolio and you took 4% a year from that portfolio, you would get $40,000 a year of cash flow, right? And so if you had that plus Social Security income, maybe that's enough. But unfortunately, we have some clients where their assets were not large enough. To cover to, to meet that formula. So now maybe we have a client that has expenses that are higher and a portfolio that maybe is smaller. So let's say a client needed $50,000 a year to support their lifestyle, but their portfolio is only a half a million dollars. Well, now that, if you do the math, is a 10% distribution rate. That gets more challenging because, you know, it's just hard to, to, um, generate a 10% rate of return. You're in, you're out on your investment portfolio. So that can be more challenging. And then that's a difficult conversation with that surviving spouse because we might need to figure out how to, how to cut their expenses. And maybe that's adjusting their lifestyle. Maybe it's, you know, their cost of living at home. Maybe they have to downsize. Maybe, you know, they have to take a harder look at their budget and figure out, okay, I have some expenses that maybe I just, I have to, Eliminate. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's what we're, we find as we go through this process and, and we're understanding the financial resources of a surviving spouse, where the income is coming from, what the expenses are, the assets they have. Um, and that's where, when you ask, you know, what if it's more complicated, that's, that's really when we start to figure out how things look going forward. What do you plan to tackle next, Todd? But this has been a fascinating two-part series. And uh, I will get to how to contact you in a moment. But first, give us a preview of, of what we're going to be looking at or listening to. You know, in the next few conversations, I think what we're going to do is we're going to bring in some of the other people that are part of the process that we termed the you know, the, the, the widow's inner circle of advisors. So, you know, I think, you know, my role as a certified financial planner is critical and we tend to act as the quarterback for the client in handling their affairs or helping them handle their affairs. But as I mentioned earlier, we need to work with an accountant to understand the, the tax ramifications mm -hmm. of income and assets. We need to work with the client's attorney to understand the legal documents that were in place and can help them uh, when their spouse passed. And should those documents be modified for the future um, to, to now deal with the present circumstances, which is, which then we're now working with one person and now, you know, do they, 
Do they have family members they trust that can assist them going forward that should be incorporated into the estate plan um, and to be agents on, on their power of attorney or be a successor trustee? Um, we also want to talk with an insurance specialist who might give us some insights about health insurance, about long-term care insurance. And so we're going to go through some conversations with other specialists that would be part of the inner circle of a, of a widow's uh, circle of advisors. And how can listeners reach you? I'm sure there are lots and lots of questions that are just popping into people's heads. Sure. And we hope that as we've gone through these, these conversations, that if you do have questions, you will reach out. We're happy to, to provide um, answers to simple questions or really you know, start a conversation to see um, if, if we can be of support or if there's some other financial advisor that would be better suited to help you with your affairs. And so the easiest way to get in touch with us is to go to our website, which is Credom Wealth, C-R-E-I-D-I-M, wealth.com. And you can find our contact information there. And that's Todd Bessie of Credom Wealth Partners. Follow this podcast, Widowed But Not Alone, and be sure to share with friends. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Widowed But Not Alone. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Integrated Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, doing business as Credom Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor.